Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. We have our topic this morning is on the trail of missing heirs, and we're going to find all out all about missing heirs. But before we get started, I must give you the blast from the past historical question. And that question today is, who was the first Salvation Army officer to ever be a licensed PI? Now, some of you private investigators out there who are listening to the show might already know this answer, and if you do, please call in. Um, but our guest today... John Hoda, uh, who's a missing air finder. Are you a missing air? And wouldn't it be exciting to find out that you were the beneficiary of a fortune? John Hoda's mission is to connect valuable assets with their rightful owners. And what are these assets? They could be stocks or bonds or bank accounts or IRAs, could be patents or royalties, all kinds of things that would be considered assets. And he's an expert air finder and licensed private investigator, and he combines the proficiency of a skilled private investigator with the expertise of a genealogy researcher. He's the owner of International Missing Air Finders. He's been a licensed private investigator since 1997, a graduate of Indiana University of Pennsylvania, and he has a degree in criminology. Prior to being an air finder, he was um, a police officer for a while. So, and he's also one of the only seven, one of only 74 certified legal investigators in the world, and is also a certified fraud examiner. I'll let John tell you what those designations mean. Good morning, John. Good morning, Francie, and how are you today? I'm great. And you're calling in today from where? Uh, Milford, Connecticut. Milford, Connecticut, and how bad is the snow there? Well, we have about a, a foot of snowpack still, uh, but we're hoping that uh, we'll have some warm-up today and through the weekend. But, unfortunately, they're forecasting more snow next week. Okay. Well, good luck on that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, first of all, tell us what a certified legal investigator is. Sure. Uh, it's a uh, designation that's been bestowed through the uh, National Association of Legal Investigators to persons that have undergone a rigorous examination and have a uh, background in legal investigation. That is, uh, having worked in the uh, field with attorneys, 
handling their litigation matters or in criminal defense. Uh, the, the combination of uh, background skills and testing uh, is uh, necessary for a person to be able to uh, be given that designation. Uh, I sat for my uh, examination in uh, 2004 and was uh, granted the uh, CLI at that time. So I'm, I'm very, very happy to have that uh, designation. And uh, it's, uh, it's been a lot, it was a lot of hard work to get it. And uh, I'm happy to be able to say that I am. And I understand from talking to other people who have that designation, it's quite a rigorous uh, process. There's uh, several books you have to read. You have to write a white paper. Yes. Um, you have to go before a panel of of your peers. Oh, yes. And uh, it's a all-day testing. Uh, some of the testing is actually role-play done mm-hmm. by other uh, fellow CLIs. Uh, it's uh, not easy by any stretch of imagination. I was quite happy when that day was over. That's great. And then what about a CFE? What's a Certified Fraud Examiner? Certified Fraud Examiner uh, is from the Association of uh, Certified Fraud Examiners out of uh, Austin, Texas. Uh, many, many years ago, um, I uh, tested for that and was given the uh, uh, designation of Certified uh, Fraud Examiner. Uh, and that deals mostly in the, uh, in the accounting fields and in businesses where uh, there's the uh, potential of uh, defalcation of funds or theft, internal theft, uh, embezzlement. Um, also, it dealt with uh, areas of insurance, insurance fraud. And many of the uh, people that have that designation come from uh, the insurance field, uh, accounting, actuarial, and other uh, business disciplines. So it's more of a, on a business side of uh, investigation. Okay. And, and so uh, first, though, you were a police officer, correct? Yes. Uh, hometown boy. Uh, I, I graduated from uh, Indiana University of Pennsylvania. I lived in uh, Pennsylvania. And I came home uh, to where I lived and uh, uh, got hired by my local police department, uh, Whitpain Township Police Department, in uh, 1976 as they were gearing up for the, uh, what they thought was going to be the hordes of uh, visitors and tourists to the Philadelphia area for the bicentennial. Mm-hmm. And uh, a few years later, after working uh, lots of nights and midnighters and uh, weekends and holidays, I decided to apply my, uh, my uh, investigative skills to the daytime hours, and I left policing and got started in the insurance business. I see. And, and what kind of insurance work did you do? Uh, primarily insurance fraud, uh, insurance fraud investigation. Uh, I did that uh, for a national firm for many years, and then uh, when the opportunity presented itself, I went to work for a few uh, larger uh, insurance companies doing uh, SIU work, Special Investigation Unit work. It's a, uh, a branch of the uh, claims department that uh, the, the more spurious claims are the ones that are um, considered to be um, unusual and maybe possibly have some red flags and then would be uh, diverted to the SIU unit for further investigation. And I did that work uh, pretty happily and, and successfully until uh, 1997 when I looked at um, the opportunity to go out on my own, I had at that point been a manager of a special investigations unit and was looking at uh, many, many invoices and bills for outsourced work to private investigators, and I thought, I can do that. Mm-hmm. So in the fall of 1997, I went out on my own and armed with a, a Rolodex, an old computer, and a beat-up car, and a, and a borrowed camera, and I uh, got my uh, PI license and uh, opened up my first uh, business, which was independent special investigations. 
And, and John, what are the requirements in Connecticut to become a private investigator? Well, uh, a legitimate investigative background, uh, not necessarily just being a cop or having uh, law enforcement uh, as, a, as a patrol officer, but you had to actually have an uh, investigative background. And I met that requirement through working in those, uh, in those national companies as a special investigator. Also, and it has to be substantiated. Uh, requir- I'm sorry. I'm sorry, go ahead. It has to be a substantiated experience? Oh, yes. Uh, five years of substantiated experience or four years with a, uh, a bachelor's degree. I see. Okay. And then a, a rigorous background check, uh, a really rigorous background check and uh, financial check. And uh, it, was, uh, it was quite a bit to get the license, but I'm glad I did, and I'm, I'm, I've retained it ever since. And you haven't? Changed your mind about uh, wanting to be a private investigator? Heck no. Okay. All uh, right. I tell you, it's um, it's it's it, everything's it's something's new every day, and uh, there's a lot of twists and turns. Uh, I love working with customers. I love uh, being able to find out what they need, and mm-hmm. uh, be able to deliver it to them. And uh, it's just uh, it, it's I've learned a tremendous amount uh, over the last 13 years. Uh, I learned a lot of different things things that I may never have thought I would have even attempted to learn. Sure. And how did you land on a specialty of locating missing heirs? Well, that, that's a really interesting story in and by itself. Um, it's really a two-part answer. And the first part was I was uh, working as a, a regular private investigator doing uh, work throughout uh, uh, southern New England, and a woman from my church was diagnosed with a rare uh, bone marrow cancer, hmm. and she needed to have a bone marrow transfer. And her natural family, uh, she had been uh, estranged from, and her children did not qualify. They did not match. So I teamed up with an amateur genealogist, and between the two of us, we were able to locate 68 blood relatives for this lady. Um, it was, and then uh, the rest of the people from our church pitched in and helped uh, do the blood drive at our church to, to try to find other bone marrow uh, transplant recip- um, donors. And uh, we continued to work with the Red Cross to try to get those uh, 68 relatives tested. And unfortunately, my friend didn't receive any matches. But she did find an extended family that she didn't know. That she had no idea. Right. And during the the latter stages of her life, um, she received Christmas cards and videotapes. One one family had a giant reunion, and they all passed the camera around and said hello to her. uh, It was comforting at the end to know that she was part of a larger family. And uh, and that's when I first learned about genealogy. Uh, I had not had any interest in genealogy, even my own family. That at all until I, I saw that back in 2005. And uh, to me, it, it gave me an idea of how, how we went about doing it. Now, I, wasn't mm-hmm. say I was an expert because I was working with somebody else. But between our combined skills, we were able to fill out this woman's family tree. And uh, that was quite gratifying. Um, about a month or two later, a lawyer responded to a, uh, a little blurb, a little tiny ad that I had in the uh, bar journal and uh, asked if I had done missing air research. And I said, well, let me tell you the story. So I mm-hmm. went on to tell him the story about this lady. And he said, good, you're hired. Hmm. And uh, with $1,000 and a, a family tree, I uh, got started on this. 
well, in really short order, I found that uh, the family tree was not correct. Uh, there was you know, significant errors to it. And I had only scratched the surface into this uh, trying to find this missing heir. And he said, well, thank you very much. I appreciate your help, but that's enough. And I said, but I have more work to do. He said, no, that's okay. Thank you. And I said, well, gee, I'd like to be able to continue on this. And he says, well, why don't you do it on your own? And I said, well, why? Who would pay me? <laughs> why? You know, who would pay me? And he said, well, you, you speculate on this. You speculate that you'll find the heirs and that you'll sign them up to an agreement, whereas you'll tell them where the estate is if they agree to sign your contract. Hmm. And I said, I can do that? And he said, yeah. And I said, it's legal? And he said, of course it is. So in my spare time, uh, and whenever I could you know, squirrel away some hours, I kept working on this case, and it became an obsession for me. And uh, my family would sit there at the, the dinner table every night and listen to stories about this case, and they thought I was obsessed, and of course I was just telling them I was being thorough. But uh, <laughs> as time went on, uh, I learned how to do um, the, the forensic genealogy necessary to do missing air research. Interesting. Then I learned how to go about finding uh, recent probate filings where there's a potential of missing heirs. And through time, uh, my business shifted from uh, insurance fraud to general purpose investigations to now where I'm almost uh, exclusively doing uh, missing heir research. I still will do uh, some investigative work uh, for personal injury and criminal defense, but for the most part, uh, my work is almost completely centered around uh, missing heir research and it's uh, and the company, of course, is uh, International Missing Air Finders. Um, and and as an aside, I'm still trying to find that missing air. It's been six years now. Really? And that, that's still an open case on my fi- on my desk, and it won't go away until I find either uh, that the, the missing air or her uh, or if she had uh, offspring. Are you getting warm? No, it's a cold trail. It's it, it, it's a cold trail for now. Um, uh, the woman. Uh, just disappeared from the face of the earth in 1937 in the height of the Depression. She lived in uh, Belmore, New York. Uh, she was on a uh, commuter route into New York City. And I think uh, what had happened was she married outside of her faith, and at that time with her religion, she became an outcast from her family. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there was really no other mention of her, uh, either by her uh, maiden name or by what we would probably know her by her married name. She also probably got her Social Security number under her married name, which means that uh, when she passed on, she passed on under under her uh, married name. And without knowing what it is, I can't begin to uh, try to trace the trail. Now, the uh, federal census is coming out uh, for 1940. Uh, they, they release it every 72 years. Uh, really? Yeah, so... The 1930 census came out uh, 72 years after 1930, do the math, uh, I guess 2002, and now the 1940 census is coming out in 2012, and hopefully I'll be able to pick up the trail with her again with the 1940 census, and hopefully I'll be able to uh, piece together you know, some uh, threads of evidence that might lead me to where she was living and you know, land records and what have you, and then just try to uh, piece it together from there. Well, be sure and let me know if you find her. We'll we'll give our listeners an update on the PIs Declassified website. That would be very exciting. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Well, this is a good place for a break. We'll be right back with more information about finding missing heirs. 
Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Do you need directions to solve financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. John Hoda from International Air Finders is my guest today. John, you were saying that this uh, woman that you've been searching for for six years uh, is a cold lead, but I'm, I'm wondering what happens, what has happened to those assets that you're trying to find her to let her know that she has? Well, in this particular case, uh, I was requested to do a, the research initially by a uh, probate attorney who had to uh, probate an estate. Okay. And... Uh, by probating a state, it meant that uh, the person that died had died without a will, 
and that the the uh, assets from this person's estate had to go to her nearest next of kin. And uh, this woman uh, that I was searching for had been alive at one time, and if she was still alive, she would be entitled to portions of that money. If she had passed away, then her children, her natural-born children, would be uh, entitled to that money. So Mm -hmm. the estate wanted me to do that research to try to locate her or her children. When I was unable to, uh, I had to pass my report on to the, the courts in indicating that I was unsuccessful in locating her or any of her children. And as such, then the, those monies then, instead of being uh, set aside for her, went to the other heirs to the estate. Well, isn't a, um, an estate is duty-bound to do a due diligence search of all heirs. Isn't that true? Yes, yes. Okay. And that, that was my, what they got from me was the due diligence to try to find that one particular heir. Mm-hmm. Uh, people disappear, unfortunately, uh, when, they've lo- like, when they've lost track of their family for 30, 40, 50 years. Uh, name changes, anything could happen, uh, and there's no way to, to account for them. Uh, it must, uh, then, the, then at that point, it must, uh, the monies then must be uh, divvied up uh, to the remaining heirs. Now, if the person is known but cannot be located uh, and they can't be given the money, the money is then put into a trust account. And, it's and is that the trust. case with this situation? Excuse me? Is that the case with this woman? No, because uh, there was no evidence that, um, that she had family. Mm. Uh, there was no evidence that she was still alive. There was no evidence that uh, there would be somebody to give this money to. Mm-hmm. So instead, it got, uh, instead of four shares going out, only three went out. I see. So then, well... Okay, so you're still looking for it. So she must still be entitled to something. So where where are those assets hiding right now? Uh, I'm still looking for her to satisfy myself that I found her. Okay. Uh, I believe that the probate court has closed uh, the estates. Mm. And I don't know legally at this point how those estates could be reopened to uh, address the um, the new heirs being found. So it's more of a matter of me trying to just satisfy my own curiosity as to uh, what steps I took, what different steps I could have taken to try to find her, and then uh, if her uh, if she still if she has family, then to advise them of these uh, of what had transpired and me trying to locate them. Sure. Okay. All right. Because you're tenacious. Well, yes, and uh, I got hired on this estate as a, as a relative rookie. Uh-huh. And I'm wondering if I had made some rookie mistakes, and I'd sure. really like to to uh, make sure that I I gave this this heir my best effort, and I'm not going to give up until I do. Okay, all right. Well, that's great. And John, what 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 should a person expect when they're contacted by an heir finder like yourself? What what's the process? Well, that's a great question. Uh, a lot of times. Uh, I can't speak for a lot of other firms, but in my firm, what I try to do is I try to make a personal contact over the phone first. Mm-hmm. And I try to establish with the person that they are, in fact, um, related in some fashion to the person that died. And then I, t- I go on to tell them that I believe that they're an heir to an estate and that they should expect some paperwork from me and that's going to come priority mail or express mail in a few days. And take that information to a lawyer and to have a lawyer go over it with them or maybe somebody they trust 
and so that they feel comfortable with the information. Um, they have to feel comfortable that I am legitimate, that what I do is legitimate, and that the agreement that they're signing is legitimate, and there's no hidden clauses and there's nothing there that could cause them any, um, any problems. Um, that first phone call for me is, is introduction. Uh, I don't do any kind of sales over the phone initially. Um, imagine that, you know, you're, you're sitting there at home on a Sunday night, you get a phone call from someone, and they say that all of a sudden they say that you're an heir to an estate. And the first response should be a very healthy skepticism, and I appreciate that and I respect that. Mm-hmm. So because of that, I don't do any kind of sales work over the phone. I just basically say, I believe that I can connect you to the estate. I do that for a fee, and I want to send you that paperwork so that you have it and can review it at your leisure. No okay. pressure. All right. So um, then what's the next step? Well, usually a day or two later, I'll contact them again. Or if they have questions, they'll contact me. Uh, I also point them to my website where they can look and they can see blogs from where I've had uh, uh, discussions with other heirs uh, about um, their cases. Mm-hmm. And it, it gives them more information to work with. They can go to... Um, they can go to the, the states where I'm licensed to do business. They can go to the states where I, I hold my uh, business and corporation articles. Uh, they can contact other people that, uh, that I give as references. Okay. So they have a chance to do that, and they have a chance to kick my tires. Uh, but in the meantime, until they, they receive my paperwork. And then when they get the paperwork, it's just a matter of, of them feeling comfortable with it. And what they have to feel comfortable with is because it, it's a it's a unilateral contract. Uh, it's they're signing it you know, by by only their signature, and they're signing that I'm going to give them some information which will point them in the direction of of where this money is coming from. Mm-hmm. In exchange for that, uh, they will give me a, a portion of their inheritance. Now, my percentage is based upon you know industry standards, and it's. And it does cover all the expense of locating the people and, uh, and then bringing them to court, even hiring an attorney on their behalf if an attorney is required. So really? out of my uh, fees come all these expenses. But the thing that has to be crystal clear, bold line, bold print, underline, capitalize, no money comes out of their pocket, no expenses come out of their pocket, and if they don't get a recovery, I don't get anything. And that's what, that's what makes this agreement work, because there's no risk to them whatsoever. It's a no-lose situation. I'm sure there's a lot of scam artists out there, aren't there? Well, you know, all you have to do is open up your inbox uh, and look at your emails, and uh, you see some of those uh, emails coming from, uh, well, certain countries that we won't name. Right. And, uh, but all of those scams, all of those scams require two things, or one, one of two things either your personal information or for you to make some sort of a deposit into an account in order to then receive the funds. Mm-hmm. And uh, a legitimate missing air finder uh, will not ask you for uh, your bank account information, your checking account information, any, any of your credit card numbers. They will not ask for any of that. A missing air researcher will not ask you to make any upfront deposits or to make any monetary promise of monies. Uh, where, that have to be up front. So from that situation, that, that is where, really where the, the line is separated, and it's a very clear line between the two. Um, if anyone is coming to a person 
looking to uh, attach them to an estate where there's some money, and they're asking for money up front to do it, run away from that. Right. Or run That's to your nearest attorney flag. general or your consumer protection agency and make sure you report them because it's, it's not um, a legitimate deal. Now, some people may come to you and say, we would like to you know, flesh out your family tree. We'd like to do so, and we, and we could charge a fee for doing that. Well, that's, that's a solicitation to do a family tree. It's not necessarily to connect them to a, um, uh, some kind of um, assets. And I think it's, it's a subtle difference, but it's one that I still think you have to be careful about. There's sure. many ways that you can go out and, and contract someone to uh, conduct a family tree for you that you don't need to be solicited for it. Who, who, John, is your typical client? You know, it's mostly older people, Francie. Uh, these are people that have outlived uh, their, uh, the rest of their families. Um, it's that uh, person that uh, is the oldest person on a, on a branch of a family that uh, uh, is entitled to inherit because someone else in that family tree has died and they've died without a will. Uh, I deal with the elderly a great deal. Um, and for me, you know, dealing with the elderly presents its challenges. It has to, you have to make sure that your, your print collateral or your information you send out is not too verbose, that, you know, your print size is actually larger. You mm-hmm. have to make sure that, uh, you're, you, you, you want to make sure that you want to talk to their, them or their children and get, include their family into the conversation. You want them to include their kids. Um, you want to make sure that they they take this information to somebody they trust, and um, and they have to be cautious uh, because there many of these people are on a fixed income. They're concerned that somebody is trying to take their money away from them. Sure. And uh, they have and they are they are very much skeptical about that, and uh, so you have to be very very careful. The other thing. Um, in dealing with the elderly, unfortunately, you deal with people with uh, Alzheimer's or other mm-hmm. types of uh, mental illnesses that erode their uh, ability to reason. Well, if if they have an di- inability to reason, well, then they most likely have an inability to sign a contract. Sure. And in those situations, I, I definitely want to reach out to family members or to people that have been uh, given their guardianship or conservatorship. And it's in those situations that I want to make sure that I, I speak with those other parties and make sure that they're clearly aware of what my intent is and what I'm trying to do. And I want to get them involved because it makes, it makes no sense for me to bring somebody to a court if they do not have uh, the ability to uh, reason or they do not have the propensity to sign a, um, a legal contract. Do right most word? people consult with an attorney before they actually sign the contract? Yeah, many people do, and I encourage it, actually. I do. Um, then, of course, I get phone calls from attorneys, and they want to know everything about what I'm doing. And, right. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, uh, it's, uh, and I certainly don't mind. Uh, I, don't, I certainly don't mind. But um, when they start to negotiate my fee, I say, well, what, what do you tell people when, they, when people want to negotiate your fee? Hold that thought, John. Uh, can you imagine receiving a call or a knock on the door and being told that you have an inheritance? John Hoda, expert missing air finder, might be that person standing at your door. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. IRB Search is simply the best online data provider for locating people, businesses, and assets. IRB Search gives you strength in numbers. With one click, you can access billions of records. Even with partial information on your subject, IRB Search instantly returns current and past addresses, phone numbers, and more. Call IRB Search today at 1-800-447-2112 to sign up. Mention PIs Declassified and you'll receive a two-week trial of 100 free searches to get started. Call 1-800-447-2112 to find out why IRB Search is simply the best. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. John Hoda, private investigator and probate and genealogy, I can't even say that word, genealogical researcher, is telling us about connecting people with their assets as a missing air finder. John, tell us more. Well, thank you, Francie. Um, the, uh, the kind of cases that I've had have been pretty, pretty diverse. Uh, and you know, I, I, can, I can tell you lots of stories, but I, I think the thing that I, I like about it the most is when, um, at the end, when the people are receive the money uh, from this, uh, these estates or these other money sources, uh, they tell me then you know, what that means to them and how much of a game changer it is. For some, it's, it's an answer to their prayers. It's a real life changer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can imagine. Yeah, and, and I love that, 
part of the story because it's a celebration time because when they're receiving their check, of course, I'm receiving mine. And it's a, it's a really heady time. And then we also joke about back when, you know, earlier on and during the uh, negotiations when they first got contacted me, how they were skeptical and how, how, how I had to win them over and, and earn their trust mm-hmm. and then work for them, you know, for the life of the estate until the payout. And uh, it's really a gratifying time. I mean, they, these people are still my friends afterwards. And uh, I get Christmas cards from them afterwards, and uh, it's really nice. It's a nice feeling. What's your favorite story? Well, I think uh, I actually have a bunch, but um, as it relates to uh, the payout and, and how it helped a person, um, when when the gentleman in Fairbanks, Alaska, uh, I found him uh, from an estate in Brantford, Connecticut. Uh, when I found him and, and got him through the process and got him through the system, when he finally received the money, um, he told me what he was going to do with it. And here's been a gentleman I've been living for years in shelters or in rescue missions or on the street. Mm-hmm. And he said the first thing he was going to do was get a place where he had a locking door for his bathroom. And, and that, to me, you know, just said volumes, that here had been somebody that had been living in places that, you know, he couldn't be trusted. Sure. Or, or they didn't trust, you know, the, the residents, and they, they couldn't have locks on their bathroom. So for him, that was important to be able to have that privacy. And and that, to me, was a very telling statement. But uh, I think the, the one of the best stories I had uh, was a case that was also my longest case and one of my very first ones, and it just ended this past week. Uh, a woman died in 2005 in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Uh, no kids, no husband, uh, no brothers or sisters that were alive or had, that, that had kids. Uh, aunts and uncles were all dead. Parents were dead. And one maternal cousin was coming forward to, uh, to collect. And that's a red flag in our business, that if there's only one cousin coming forward from one side of the family, what about the other side of the family? Sure. What about the father's side? Well, I started to do the research, and my research took me to the city of New Haven, where I learned the gentleman died in his, uh, as a young man in the 1920s. And uh, from there, I found his funeral home, and then from there, I found the church where he and his wife had been married, you know, the, the, the decedent's mother. And from their marriage certificates, I was able to find out that both the, the man and his wife uh, had uh, been born in little country towns in north-central Poland. Hmm. So uh, on a visit, uh, a, a Polish priest from Brooklyn, New York, uh, at the request of the uh, secretary of the Polish church that I had visited, stopped by this little, little country church in north-central Poland, and met with the pastor there and went through the records and was able to come up with uh, um, the decedent's father's uh, brothers and sisters' records of, of their marriages. And that was just astounding, given the fact that you know this town had been overrun by the Nazis going in one direction and then the yeah. Russians going in the opposite direction during World War II, and that these records still were intact. Um, but uh, with the help of a, a Polish genealogist research firm, and some help uh, from other researchers in the United Kingdom, we were able to find 13 uh, paternal or father-side cousins, and they then became um, heirs to the estate. And the way the estates are divvied up in uh, Connecticut when there's cousins, um, each cousin gets a a share of an estate. So um, this pie that was going to go to this one woman 
uh, all the pie was going to go to this one woman. Now she had to share this pie with 13 other people equally. And these people, I suspect, had absolutely no idea. They were clueless. They had no idea. When their uncle died in the 1920s, uh, they had no clue um, that you know this would take place. I mean, he died in America in the 1920s. They went on to live their lives. Uh, they weren't even born yet. Their you know their parents went on to have kids. Them, the cousins, and they may may not even known about uh, my my uh, decedent's uh, father. So they were clueless. You're right. And this was money from heaven. Um, but this but uh, last year, after three years of research, uh, 06, 07, 07, 07 08 four years of research. At the end of 09, we uh, presented this case to the court, and uh, the other side wasn't real happy with the fact that uh, they now had to share this pie with uh, you know, 13 other shares. Mm-hmm. So several months went by of jostling and jockeying and whatever in front of the court, and finally we found out in July of this year, well, that maternal cousin three years ago uh, thought that she was the only heir to the estate, and without any um, author, uh, authorization from the court, went and distributed all the assets from the estate to her kids. Oh, my gosh. And they drained the entire estate. So we were faced with uh, having to go collect from those kids and having to call the bond on the estate and doing all kinds of other uh, legal uh, machinations, and, and that would be costly and time-consuming, and there'd be a real Donnybrook to get this mm-hmm. money back. Well, the judge interceded and helped the other side um, return most of the money to the estate. Of course, these people had spent a lot of it, so they had to take out mortgages on properties, and they had to do other things, but eventually they brought the money back to the estate. And just this past week, I mean, not this past week, uh, Monday, I was able to go to our lawyer's office in, in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and I was able to receive the check uh, for uh, our fees for having worked on that case. But each of, each of those individual heirs was able to receive uh, over $40,000. That's and, just And $40,000 uh, in north-central Poland, I think, will go a long way today. I would think so, yes. And... Uh, and they're quite happy with that. I've also had. I'm going to be going to my uh, bank tomorrow to uh, send wire transfers out to uh, uh, the uh, investigators that helped me in uh, both uh, Poland and in the UK. And I was going to ask you that. You had those fees to outlay, or or are yeah. you able to pay them when when and if you get paid? Does right. that work it's on a percentage of my also? percentage? Yes, Francie. It's a percentage of my percentage. Okay. And uh, that's agreed on up front, and uh, they agreed to wait until this was over. But five, six years from the time the woman died, five years from after the estate was opened, finally, finally, this case paid out. And, what a uh, feeling of satisfaction of having accomplished all that. I'll tell you, it was a lot. I mean, there was a lot of hard work on the front end, and then uh, getting the right sources to help me. Uh, that was important, too. Uh, befriending the, the local church secretary here, to uh, do that digging, to have a, a parish priest on a visit go out to that town and go digging in the basement of this other little country church. That wonderful. Was, yeah, unbelievable. This was wonderful. So it was a good okay. case. All right, more to come from Missing Airfinder John Hoda and the answer to the Blast in the Past historical question. Stay tuned.
News. Opinion. Can you hear me? Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile, Radio to Thrive By. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. You might have heard about the lady who is our answer to our Blast in the Past historical moment. It's Major Ruth Miller, Salvation Army Missing Persons Bureau. PI Magazine, one of the sponsors for PIC Classified, profiled this New York licensed private investigator in 2002 when she was an active 63-year-old private investigator searching out missing adults, missing children, and many others. 
Um, PI Magazine, by the way, is a great place to find interesting stories about private investigation at www.pimagazine.com. The article in PI Magazine was written by Mary Tiratilli, a freelance writer and graduate student, and uh, she says that uh, Ruth closed nearly 5,000 cases in the 13 years prior to writing the article in 2002, and uh, she certainly can take a lot of pride in helping that many people. I believe uh, Salvation Army's success rate can be as high as 85%, um, but averages are oh, around 40 45% according to the article. They have a missing persons bureau divided in four territories across the country, and then they can even go international if, if necessary looking for people. And after 9-11, um, Ruth didn't even hesitate to lend assistance to those who needed it by volunteering to provide help to those that were in the World Trade Center and helping with the victims' paperwork from um, all the way from the uh, September 19th to even up to October 2011. So she says, though, and this is something John might be interested in, um, because I... I suspect some might think that Ruth or Salvation Army can help in finding missing heirs. But uh, Ruth says that although her specialty is locating missing persons, it's the Salvation Army policy not to conduct searches for legal purposes, which would include inheritance, adoption, or genealogical reasons. They're happy, though, to refer those kind of cases to the appropriate agency. But the interesting part about Ruth is that she was a 16-year-old foster child living with the Salvation Army and felt the call to train to become a Salvation Army cadet. And she married uh, somebody else that was at Salvation Army, and they both became commissioned as Salvation Army officers in 1966. So she's quite a lady. I believe she's retired by now. She's planning to retire in 2004, and we certainly wish her well and hope that she got into the missing air finder business as well. So, John, you you had heard about this lady. Oh, yes. Any time I have a chance to uh, read PI Magazine, and to, especially as it relate, relates to missing persons or anything to do with locating people, I zoom in on those articles. And I was, I was very interested to see that article uh, years ago when it, when it first came out, and uh, I was just impressed with her uh, uh, very different way, of, uh, different skill sets than you know the typical PI goes about doing this work. And yeah, you know, John, we have a caller, Arthur Cantrell from Dallas, Texas, is calling in. Arthur, are you there? Art, are you there? Yes, I am. How are you this morning? Good, Art. Nice to hear from you. Good to hear from you, Mr. Hoda. Nice to talk to you. I've been listening, and uh, I'm very impressed. I've handled many cases very similar to that. In fact, I found a missing heir from. It was actually standing on the beach at uh, Pearl Harbor when the Japanese came over. Hmm. Uh, it took me about 18 months to find him and found him by uh, the fact that he loved to buy Cadillacs. So I called up and down the East Coast to Cadillac dealers until I found the last car he bought. That is, that is dogged research. <laughs> it was totally before good. computers. That was back in the 70s when I first got started. Wow. That's what they call real gumshoe work, huh, Art? <laughs> I enjoyed the older days when we actually had to talk to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, sir, one uh, suggestion I might have for you in this part of the country, especially the Midwest, uh, we not only have missing heirs, but a lot of people have uh, mineral ownership that they're not aware of, such right. as oil and gas leases or oil and gas production. 
Mm-hmm. And during the Depression, uh, a lot of those mineral leases were bartered for services, food, medical services, attorneys, whatever. So the minerals were actually split up among many, many heirs. And there could be a very good market for your, your business uh, in the oil and gas arena. Interesting. Have you done some of that, John? Uh, only as it tangentially as it deals with uh, persons' estates from Oklahoma and Texas. But, uh, how, uh, Art, I don't mean to, to put you on the spot here, but how would one go and, and open up the file for uh, the missing uh, heirs on uh, oil and gas leases? Well, there's several ways. Uh, number one, uh, most states will issue a, uh, you know, un- un- property list each year. I know Texas does it, and I believe Oklahoma does too. Some of those unclaimed properties are also minerals, oil and gas minerals. Okay. Uh, once you find the person, then you would have to get an affidavit of airship and an affidavit of identity uh, and possibly a copy of a will, or if they died in testate, of course, then some kind of proof that they are a rightful heir, provided to the state, and uh, the state is cheats. Uh, funds into a trust after 10 years if they're not found. I'm not sure if they pay interest on that money that's in that trust fund, but many times that's one way to do that. Okay. Uh, again, I don't know how you market or your services, sir, but uh, possibly even advertising in some of the uh, oil and gas journals or publications uh, could help you there. That's a great suggestion, Art. As a matter of fact, uh, for our listening audience, Art will be my guest next week on PIs Declassified on February 24th. Looking forward to it. And thank you for calling in, Art. Nice to talk to you. Goodbye. Okay, thank you. So, uh, John, is there anything else you'd like to say? Is there any other advice you'd like to give our listeners? Well, the, the two places that I think anyone could go looking f- uh, for money would be, uh, like Art had said, the unclaimed property funds of their states for themselves and for their passed-on loved ones, but also uh, to a website uh, that's with the federal government uh, called Treasury Direct, and it's, and it's for bonds, people that have had uh, uh, bonds that have gone uh, dormant for many years. They, all the money is now into the bonds. They're fully vested, uh, mm-hmm. but for whatever reason, people have lost them or misplaced them. Uh, it's a great place to check to see if you or your uh, passed-on loved ones uh, might have uh, monies uh, with the federal government in the form of United States savings bonds. Interesting. That's a good. That's a good tip. Yep. And of course, people should always check with their state for uh, any unclaimed property. Most states, um, you can locate that by going by googling your state website for escheated property. Correct. That's right. Unclaimed property. Yeah. And plus your state name and. That should bring you to your Department of State or uh, Secretary of State or whatever uh, entity in, the, in your state uh, handles that, those monies. Yeah. Years ago, I, I found that I had $64 left over from a checking account I had once upon a time that I didn't know existed. I was still sitting someplace because I had to turn that in. Mm-hmm. All of $64. Well, uh, that, that'll be another story someday. That'll be another story. All right. If you want to know more about John, John Hoda, or how to contact him, or how to contact International Missing Air Finders, go to PISDeclassified.com under today's show on the Trail of Missing Airs. 
A link to John's website is found under his bio, and there's also a, uh, a link to his um, video that he was talking about. Uh, thank you to Ben Harold of PI Museum and PI Magazine for the information about Ruth Miller. If you want to learn more about the history of detectives, spies, and private eyes, go to www.pimuseum.com. If you want to see these artifacts continue to be preserved, sign up as a contrib- contributing member. The instructions are on my website. If you have comments about the show, please send me an email at francie at pisdeclassified.com. Next week, as I mentioned, my guest will be Art Cantrell, who was just here with us on the show. Thanks all for today. Tune in as we declassify more real stories from real investigators. Thank you, John. It's P.I.'s Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Many thanks for listening. Thank you, Francie. Thanks. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.